Welcome to VMN Volume 3, Episode 8. The date is October 11th, 2022. Today we will be discussing the incidents involving Fred Sargent and the LGB Alliance at Burlington, Vermont Pride and the outright truck bull. For those who don't know, LGB Alliance is an organization that almost entirely focuses on advocating against trans rights. In the UK, they oppose self-identification, which eliminates long bureaucratic measures for trans people to change the gender on their identification. They catastrophize about the consequences of allowing trans peoples to use facilities of their identified gender and much more. Like many other hate groups, they love to focus on crimes committed by a very small fraction of the group they hate. The anti-trans voices got wide coverage regarding this incident in the US and UK conservative press. This episode is an attempt to show the perspective of those who are de-escalators or peacekeepers at the events. Names are changed to protect the identity of the participants. One of the main participants was Fred Sargent. Fred Sargent was an early gay rights activist. He was what we call a homophile. He was the boyfriend of Craig Rodwell, who owned the Oscar Wilde bookstore in New York. The homophile movement was an assimilationist early gay group, and they basically argue that gay people are just like anyone else except who they sleep with. The homophile movement, in an attempt to gain acceptance in the mainstream society, tended to exclude excluded leather people, drag queens, or most drag queens at that time were actually trans people. And there was a great enmity between the homophile movement and people like Sylvia Rivera. There was Josh Slocum, who is, Josh Slocum was the executive director of the Funeral Consumers Alliance. He did a lot of great work advocating for funeral consumers against a very exploitative industry. About a year ago, he converted from being a liberal, or as he says, a leftist. I don't think he was actually a leftist, but I haven't investigated that deeply. And he started a conversion from, from left to right. And he began a podcast that focused on attacking BLM or what he called woke uh, culture and trans people. He really resents the trans movement. He has been forced to resign his position because of his anti-trans activism. There was Bill Oitchen. Bill Oitchen is a former teacher. He was also forced to resign his um, position as a teacher. He was a substitute teacher due to his attitudes and his activism. Now, I know less about these, the remaining two that I'm going to discuss. There was Christopher Aaron Felker, who is the head of the Burlington Republicans. He's a gay man who has is known for trolling trans people mercilessly on Twitter and other, other publications. He comes from uh, the Bethlehem um, Allentown area. And I don't really know that much about him other than he likes um, designer clothes and designer stuff. And he has a pair of adorable pugs. Unfortunately, his actions as a person are really reprehensible at times. There was some Pete Milton Republicans from Milton, Vermont, and they're very conservative and they were supporting 
the demonstration I saw at the truck bowl. I was not at the Pride event. There were a few other LGBTQA members that I don't know, and I can't say anything about their story. Fred, I know a lot about. He was in the homophile movement in the 70s. And in the words of um, Randy Wicker, he just kind of disappeared from the scene. What we know now is that he left for Stanford, Connecticut and became a police officer. He worked on the Stanford Police uh, Department for nine year, nine or so years before an incident where a kid stole a game controller and they ran away in a car. Fred got ahead of them and fired his revolver at the car. He didn't hit any of the kids, but after this, he had PTSD and he just could not operate as a police officer for a couple of years. He got psychiatric or psychological uh, treatment for that. And then when he decided he wanted to come back to the force, they would not let him. They got some doctor to say he would never be able to handle a weapon again. And it seems like um, discriminatory actions on the part of the Stanford police against a gay person. He did win a court case about that eventually. Now we have Jake and Jasper who were at the Pride event and they can describe what happened. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Jake, I use he, they pronouns. I wanted to attend Burlington Pride in a community role. Um, I have some conflicted feelings about hosting Pride in September and hosting Pride with corporate sponsorships. But I do understand that it serves a really vital purpose, particularly for the large population of college students who might not be able to be open and expressive and celebrate in their hometowns. So I wanted to go as someone who could de-escalate, who could serve my community, uh, uh, police liaison if necessary, uh, to help quell those conflicting feelings and understand that if I was going to be participating in this event, I would be participating with the best of intentions instead of, I don't know, allowing the corporate sponsorships to wash over me. So the event started roughly around 12.30. I had been on the scene since about 11, meeting with my other de-escalators, forming a plan and supporting other people who wanted to protest the police presence there. Shortly, about 10 minutes after the parade started, I received a notification on my phone from someone else who was down in the parade that there was an incident happening at the corner of bank and church, that there was a man with transphobic signs really riling up the crowd and sort of stepping into the line of the parade. Uh, so the first thing I did was I messaged out to the group for just like support um, and follow up, uh, which is where Jasper received the notification and then I headed on down. When I got there, I saw uh, Fred Sargent, he was holding up a large, like one of those nice cardboard signs with like the ones that you would see like in your lawn or something like meant to be weatherized and, and sturdy. Um, and it had the words blackface and woman face, and then they were both crossed out. And I guess it's a trying to equate those two terms and then say that they're both bad, which is a really interesting and problematic tactic to take, I think. Um, and the crowd of parade goers had already sort of started some counteractions. People were surrounding him. People were holding up their trans flags or 
rainbow umbrellas and trying to block out his signs to make sure that he was not seen by the rest of the group of the parade and that they roughly stayed out of the way. By the time I got there, Fred had a large stain on his shirt. His shirt was all white. It said LGB Alliance. And there was what looked like a coffee stain on it. I would later learn that uh, apparently coffee was poured on him as an incident, which he claims assault for. But by the time I got there, he was perfectly fine and the stain had already dried. So I saddled up to him, sort of assessed the situation, politely asking people to step back if they could, but not wanting to interfere with the way that they were blocking his signs and sort of creating a safer space for the everyone else. My primary goals were to ensure everyone's safety and to minimize the amount of damage that Fred's messages could spread. So walking up to an altercation like that, the first rule as a de-escalator is to approach with kindness and always ask permission. Uh, If you go in there barging orders, people don't really respond very well to that. And it's sort of, it's a tactic of fear and violence as well. And I'm not about that. I, I don't feel that. So I walked up very politely and I was like, hey, everyone, can we please take one step back, some deep breaths. And then I saddled up next to Fred and I was like, hey, is it okay if I stand here? He looked, but didn't really respond to me. And I was like, it's okay. I'll hang out here. What's your name? And I introduced myself. I'm like, I'm Jake. And just sort of trying to start that rapport so he could feel some level of safety or understand that my presence was not there to continually assault him. And hopefully by presenting that, allow the situation to de-escalate. Um, it was around that time when uh, Jasper entered. So yeah, I came in and and Jake had the uh, situation like relatively under control. I was actually originally there as a street medic and was told at the beginning of the Pride Parade to choose to either be a de-escalator or a street medic. But due to the nature of uh, this event, it seemed better to switch around. So my uh, street medic buddy and I I arrived at the scene and uh, Jake told me that things were relatively under control and that uh, the primary tactic was going to be covering the sign and removing uh, Fred from the actual scene itself, if possible. By removing, you don't mean actually moving him out, right? Physically. He, we, we, were, we were trying to like, at a certain point when I came in, like it was clear, he had like a little cut on his finger. I think from holding the sign or something and it was bleeding quite a bit. And so as a medic person, I was like, let's like go like sit down over here, like on the bench. Let's yeah. Uh, Jake, feel free to chime in on that because you probably saw like how that happened. Yeah. uh, Fred had a cut on his finger. Several people had tried to pull the signs away. And I think it was just like a, a large paper cut or something. It was really helpful when Jasper and the medics arrived because it sort of gave the ability for us to politely sort of redirect Fred outside of the parade. Um, Like, hey, your finger's bleeding. The medics are here. Uh, Do you want to go sit down on a bench? Um, Do you want to just take a step out? When I was just there and he was in the middle of it, um, he very much did not want to pay attention to me. And so it was helpful to have this sort of support. I also want to throw out there because I realized I forgot to mention it earlier. 
just like the the medics work in pairs, I also had a de-escalator buddy who was there with me as well. And I want that to know that this wasn't me taking a solo action, is that we are stronger when we do this together. And there were a lot of people involved uh, in the incident who did their absolute best to make sure no one got hurt. And I want to make sure their efforts are recognized as well. Yeah. Primarily what I had noticed was that people were getting like uh, very like agitated by uh, Fred's presence. And a lot of them were trans, uh, including myself. So a lot of, apart from, you know, getting him to like sit down and take down the sign and uh, like assess like his paper cut situation, part of what I was pushing with my street medic buddy was just like redirecting people's energy towards like, just keep covering the sign, just keep covering the sign, like give people some space, like, and and everybody was largely like respectful, respectful of that because it was clear that, you know, violence wasn't what anybody wanted on either side, because that's like, not what we're trying to do. And it looks bad, it reflects and looks bad if that's the case. Uh, so, um, most of it was just, you know, keeping that space and a lot of people were very responsive, responsive to that. And they had flags like around their neck as capes. So people were taking those off and holding them up in the air, uh, which was making Fred, uh, a lot more frustrated with the situation. And it caused him, I think, to like kind of jostle and push a little bit to try to get around, uh, which is where often a lot of those like physical altercations like looked like they were coming from is just people just moving around like trying to block the sign no one was going after Fred specifically until an incident that I uh, saw happen where somebody did poke him at his ankle um, which I took them aside to say like that's not cool like uh, we're trying to keep this civil. We're trying to block his message. We're not trying to like incite any violence. And once I explained that to them, they were respectful about that and understood that that was something that they didn't want to have happen. But unfortunately, like in prodding his ankle, he did fall down, which then motivated me and the street medic buddy to, um, encourage him further to go and like sit on the bench and like kind of get reacclimated and like rethink about being there and about his message and about like um how it was affecting people who were at the pride uh parade to enjoy all facets of the lgbt plus community um and not just his narrowed vision and um i think after that point he was like, I'm done, let's go. And so Jake and I uh, got him back to his car. And I'm sure there's like some stuff in there that like I missed, but I was so focused on like, you know, making sure that like people weren't like getting physically hurt because that was originally what I was there for, that there might've been some nuances in there that I did not pick up on. Um, So Jake, if you want to interject, feel free. Um, Yeah, no, that's an excellent summarization. It was maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, uh, we sort of spent with Fred and the crowd, um, basically the duration of the rest of the parade. And yeah, there was sort of some jostling. As as more people came to block out uh, Fred's signs, he wanted to sort of move out and around them uh, to still be towards the front row. uh, So that I think his goal was that 
people in the parade marchers could also see his signs. And sort of that led to a few moments of chaos where people were just jostling around. I don't really believe there was any ill intention. It's also important to note that Fred is an elder gentleman who was holding um, his cane with him as he held the sign up. So it sort of like bobbed in front of him a little bit the way, you know, long sticks do. And so that really extended the, the area around him in which people could get jostled and hit. And I don't believe there was any ill intention on Fred's part for this. I think that's just the nature of holding an object that can sometimes be clumsy. And tensions did run high at times with people commenting that, oh, he hit me with his cane. Um, that's assault. And so it was a process of like being with Fred and trying to present a calming presence so he might feel more comfortable and disengage, but as well as talking to the rest of the sort of immediate anti-protesters and being like, hey, are you okay? I saw you got hit. Please, everyone take a step back and maybe this won't happen. Let's do some deep breathing, things like that. During this period of time, there were two other gentlemen with Fred. Um, there was another man who I believe was Fred's uh, partner or husband or something. They left together at the end of the event. And there was Christopher Aaron Elker. Both of them were stepping back from the primary zone of people. Uh, both of them had their cell phones out and were recording um, the entire event, uh, which is where I believe a lot of the images that circulated online came from. And at certain points, because of being a local and, and recognizing Christopher Aaron Felker, a de-escalation tactic to sort of give Fred some space was I told people, was like, hey, that's Felker. Can you please stop him from recording us? That would benefit everyone in the situation. Um, and also just like the less people we can have pounding Fred, the better this is going to be. And so that helped a little bit. And I hope it allowed everyone to understand that like, just because you're not in the immediate vicinity, you can still be escalating things. Having your phone out and recording, particularly when there are spaces on the internet such ripe for hatred against trans people, that that is an act of escalation that could be considered an act of violence. And it's really not cool, particularly at Pride. I wanted to say specifically, too, that when Fred was on the ground, Felker was filming him on the ground instead of helping pick him up. So it didn't reflect very well on Felker and on the people who, you know, had come with Fred that they were using him as a kind of a prop to get media. And it was very clearly like Fred was being used as bait and his physical well-being was not well looked after by the people he came with. And uh, I don't know, I think it just reflects poorly on Felker and on his partner that when he did trip and was on the ground, neither of them came up. It was me and my medic partner who came up and were like, hey, uh, you good? Which was interesting and speaks, I think, a lot about like where they stand in terms of like how they want to get their message out and what it means to the well-being of their own community. Whereas like with the trans affirming community, that has not been the case. Uh, we were all helping each other out. Uh, yes, Jake. Yeah, there's a, a photo that made the rounds of Fred on the ground 
trying to pick up his things and someone else reaching and grabbing Fred's cane. That's me. I was there with him. I was just trying to pick him up, help pick up his stuff. But that single photo out of context can be interpreted in lots of different ways. And I believe the sort of anti-trans areas are trying to highlight that as a form of assault or attack or claim that his items were stolen. They were not. Simply, we were the first ones there. And to reiterate uh, Jasper's statement, we were trying to help him up while his uh, friends and allies who went with him recorded the whole thing. There's a tactic that's been happening for a number of years with right-wing live streamers that they go into a left-wing crowd and try to incite an attack on them so they can go viral. I'm not accusing Fred of doing this. I don't believe he was doing it, but they're the people around him possibly. I can't say for sure. I'm not going to state that as a fact, but that is something that I and other anti-fascists have noticed. There's the people trying to get their moment in the sun for being attacked by Antifa or trans people. And it is essential that you do not give right-wing people what they want. When people seem like they want an incident or attack, don't give it to them. Absolutely. Coming from like uh, personal experience, um, I have a sibling who married into a extremely right-wing household and they have never had like any kind of exposure to trans people before. And so when I was at the wedding, I found myself in this place where I needed to make a point that trans people aren't bad or like unsavory or any of these things. And I think constantly, you know, providing like the like the example of like trans people aren't people to be afraid of trans people aren't people that like are gonna go and like take your children or whatever like you know stupid things that they've come up with to kind of vilify us um these these examples of like you know uh fred Sargent included it's like these framings are done purposefully to get us looking bad but if you have like direct examples where you're engaging with people in a very peaceful manner and showing them that you're like not trying to like cause harm then I feel like that becomes like a more positive experience and potentially even de-escalates itself that's like another cool tactic that I've been using as an anti-fascist myself yeah absolutely I don't know I feel like that's a really excellent sort of segue into what tactics ended up did working with Fred. And it was the nonviolent and present yourself in a calm manner that can naturally deescalate the situation. Eventually, after 30, 40 minutes of this chaos, Fred came to start looking at me more and regarding me as the person who wasn't actively yelling at him at the time. So he went from like totally ignoring me to starting to like look more at me. And I seized that opportunity to be like, oh, LGB Alliance. Can you tell me about that? And he was like, oh, they're a, a British group. And internally, I'm like, oh, geez. But externally, I'm like, ah, interesting. Um, do you have group meetings with them? He's like, yeah, we have meetings in England. And I'm like, oh, England, that's a five hour time difference, right? That must be hard. And like trying to engage with him on a conversation on a topic he understands and cares about um, as a way to sort of 
refocus his efforts in a calm, peaceful manner. And that allowed us to sort of start engaging a little bit. And then he introduced himself fully as Fred Sargent, um, talked about some of his history. Um, he had a hat that said Fred Sargent Stonewall veteran, which is worth unpacking, I think, a little bit, but he was wearing it. And so it became another interesting talking piece. I've been around for a long time. I mean, in the 90s, there was, I would go to Pride with, with Sil Sylvia Rivera and her crew. And uh, there was always controversy between the Stonewall veterans and the Stonewall riot veterans. I learned back then not to wade into that because every everyone who participated in that, whether it's, it's Sylvia, Craig Rodwell, all everyone had di a different view of it because it wasn't just a confrontation at the Stonewall. There was running battles in the streets that went on for three days, and there's no way that one person can really understand that from their personal pr perspective. I leave that to people like Martin Duberman to really explain. So that's a little bit about the Stonewall veterans. Uh, I was always around the Stonewall riot veterans because that's where uh, where Sylvia would be. Were either of you at this, the truck pull event? I was not. I was out of state for that. I guess we could start with uh, D. Okay, at the tractor pull, um, actually it was a, a fire department uh, fire truck that they were pulling. My job was to patrol, patrol around the edges, watch for any dangers coming in, um, try to de-escalate if situations happened. So most of the day, that's what I was doing. Um, we saw when Fred and uh, Chris Felker and several of the others showed up. And then there was another handful that showed up later in the afternoon, just kind of drifted in. But we tried to as much as we could, we tried to keep them in one place. Several of the individuals would try to walk around to the sides of the uh, sides of the pole and push forward to the uh, to the tape that blocked off the area where the pole was actually happening, you know, and show off their signs. Those of us who were patrolling made it a point to try to talk to people to get them to, to one block uh block the lgb alliance signs but also not to touch them to do their best to stay away from them just block their signs uh there was some teasing and taunting but it was all verbal nothing physical that i saw um, the one thing I did see was actually a young woman, I'm assuming, uh, came out of one of the restaurants, knocked the sign out of, uh, of one of the LGB Alliance women's hands, and then started to head back into the restaurant. A couple of us did go over and explain, you know, no, 
You don't want to give them an orgasm. That's what they want is for you to attack them. So just, you know, block them. Do things so their message doesn't get out. But, you know, do not even touch them if you can avoid it. And uh, pretty much when it was explained nicely to them, everybody was fine with that. It's like, we don't want violence, but we don't agree with, with what they're saying. So we don't want others to see it. Largely, I just orbited the, orbited the area, watching for any problems um, and talking to people. Um, and in a couple of cases, the people from outright would talk to me, ask me to do certain things. Um, and in one case, gave me a couple of different trans flags to, you know, to help people block off the signs. So I'd be walking along with a couple of flags and anybody want one? Sure. You know, if you see these people from LGB Alliance, just try to block their sign. And there were a lot of trans flags, a lot of pride flags, uh, just all kinds of flags being held very high usually because uh, it was, it, it blocked them. It very effectively blocked them in a lot of places. And there was this whole dance going on people would uh were kind of dancing around to constantly stay in front of those signs so uh it was interesting to watch the dance especially since people were having to step back to not be bumped into and uh do it. people really did their best to to not even show the uh, appearance of attacking them. It was just, I've got my flag, you're stepping towards me. Oh, if you're attacking me, well, I'm going to step back out of your range, but I'm still going to hold my flag where nobody can see your sign. Um, but eventually, we did get almost all of the LGB Alliance people just in one area because they they found they couldn't uh i was just gonna say it's amazing what how radical joy can be um and how much it can really unsettle um the side of opposition when they're expecting you to be violent and to push back on them in a physical manner, but you're just like, no, I'm going to dance around. I'm going to hold up flags. I'm going to, I'm going to have fun. Like, I'm just going to continue to act like you're not here. And like, if you do show up and like, do be visible, I'm just going to hold it up a little higher and you're not going to be seen. Like you're not here to me. None of, none of you are here to me or to any of the people who support us. And that's, I think really cool. One thing that was interesting was some of the people from outright they had extra bamboo stakes that were used to hold the the rib uh the ribbons that lined out the space so they brought a bunch of them over to people who so they could fasten their flags to them and raise them even higher 
So, and it was largely people were just having fun, enjoying the the fire truck pull, um, being surprised that how many people, how, how few people it took to actually pull one of those big fire trucks and how fast they could pull it. <laughs> I mean, people were there to, to have fun and having a de-escalation and street medic crew out there just watching watching for any problems um that seemed to keep things pretty chill and even even the lgb alliance once they realized that the de-escalation crew was actively trying to keep things calmed even they calmed down and you know we were able to chat with them find out what they were about try to find out why they were about it uh I still never understand why why one person can be so against another person when they've neither side has ever done anything to the other. But um, you know, I'm going to have to pass it over to our narrator here because they spent more time actually with Fred and uh, Chris and the other others in that core group. Um, I didn't see that much of what was happening there other than I did see when at one point a chair was brought out for Fred. Um, it was a director's chair and it was one of those chairs that tends to collapse if you're in the wrong place on it. You know, you have to sit exactly the right place or it just folds up on you. Apparently that happened to him. Yeah, I was with Fred almost the whole time at the truck pull. I tried to encourage him to just come and watch because it was a lot of fun. And I was getting annoyed that I couldn't watch the kids pulling the uh, fire trucks. Mostly, I just told Fred where I was. I was behind him. At one point, Felker came by and said there was a guy trying to instigate violence. It was a, it was a parent of a trans uh, kid and I went to go talk to him and he was really angry. He thought I was with LGB Alliance. I said, no, I'm not, I'm just a de-escalator. De and then Chris came and started acting like a, like a rooster. So it was these two guys acting like two roosters got together and it was like, don't make me get between you two. <laughs> um, but most of the time I was just with Fred and with the, when he was, when they, he got tired and they brought out the director's chair and it, it was really rickety and really tall, really dangerous. I wouldn't have sat on it. And uh, so I told Fred, I'm going to hold on to the chair. And he said, thank you. So I, I was there with my hand on the chair and I basically had to chide the rest of those, the LGBA people to also hold, to hold the other post of the chair. Finally, after a little while, they did that, but it was like, it was really dangerous. Um, after the event, I did get to talk to him a little bit. The tactic I took is talk to him about people from the pre-Stonewall age that I knew. I mean, Barbara Giddings, Randy Wicker, that was the first person I mentioned. And he said, how's Randy? And I said, well, I 
emailed Randy just before this, but he didn't get back to me. I have tried to get Randy to talk to Fred and see if maybe Randy can talk some sense into him, and get him to calm down on this anti-trans stuff. Randy Wicker was a renowned transphobe until he saw a trans woman that he'd known before her transition and saw how the demeanor of that person was changed when she transitioned and so much happier and he changed his mind on that. Later in life, he became uh, Sylvia's uh, friend and supporter. She worked in his uh, antique shop on the uh, Lower West Side for a number of years. Basically, I see Fred as a lonely old man who's being taken advantage of by these LGB Alliance people. Um, I even, he even gave me his email. Josh Slocum thanked me, but I don't think he really understands how much opposition I actually am. I walked them to the back of the building that they were using as as their headquarters. Yeah, I I want to echo your sentiments. Um, the time I spent with Fred made it seem very much like he is misinformed. I don't know. It's it's hard to like separate someone's demeanor from the hateful things they say, because at the end of the day, they have said hateful things. And that is um, hurtful and you need to acknowledge it. But what I got from him and from my time with him seemed mostly like he was misinformed, was maybe misdirecting some energies, very much a case of like old man believes in lateral violence, which is unfortunate, but something that can be fixed with education. And I agree that it seems like the LGB Alliance and people like Christopher Aaron Felker are very much using Fred to get what they want out of it. When I talked to Randy Wicker about Fred, he said exactly the same thing as you did, Jake. He's, he said he's, he believes that he is misinformed and that's the root of this problem. I'm just a few years younger than Fred. I'm an, a bit of an elder myself. And uh, I, too, walk with a cane. So I think that's part of what made me so effective when I was there was, you know, here's this older person going around trying to keep things calm. Um, but Fred kind of struck me as lonely. It's like he's a he's of that age where a lot of a lot of the people that he was at Stonewall with and pre Stonewall, they're gone. Uh, some from age, some from you know simple old age, and uh, you know when you watch your whole world just gradually die off, it can get get to you. Um, being able to work with Randy Wicker and others that he's finding from from that age who have become trans friendly if not trans supporters um, being able to to get them to talk to Fred I, th I think we can educate Fred out of it what bothers me is others Felker for instance is a, 
a politician, or at least tries to be. So someone like him getting in a position of power is, this is what scares me. Um, it's bad enough that we have right-wingers getting into school boards and places like that and trying to do major damage to all the all the freedoms that have that have been gradually built up they're trying to turn that all back and to see lgba people and people from other groups like that getting into politics and pushing you know pushing their anti-trans views and their uh in some case racist views it's you know, it gets kind of scary here. Absolutely, Dee. Um, one of the things I, a couple of things I wanted to bring up that your um, that your discussion uh, brought up to me. One was like, yeah, people like Felker are out there and um, like blasting, you know, the story and similar stories. And you, know, you have people like J.K. Rowling doing the same, who also has like a relatively big following, obviously much bigger than Felker's, although Felker, I'm sure, like probably would wish otherwise. But uh, one of the other things that my housemates, um, half of whom are trans, and I were also discussing is like also educating like the people who were at the parade like the younger people who are at UVM because we did have a uh, trans woman like approach me who was a college student at UVM say like I called the police to press charges against Fred and it's like the police aren't going to help you in these situations one and two like this man is walking with a cane and it was as you know Jake was saying with like the way the cane was wobbling the cane wobbled and he was hobbling and as he was doing it like he kind of stumbled into her and like there's a video of that happening and like it's very clear that like he wasn't trying to jostle her and then like there were as Jake had mentioned and as I had mentioned there were just like a lot of cases where there were like, a lot of people you know crowded together and pushing um I think a lot of the uh, younger generations to um, those who haven't already like figured out, like the police aren't helpful. Like these uh, state run um, arms of the patriarchy are not here to help them. We need to have a sense of like, um, a sense of like softness with each other and a sense of empathy to the people who are being used by the Felkers, by the rulings to like further their message and further the hate and like get these people into office and into places where they can make decisions to make their lives, the lives of trans folks and folks who support them even worse. So like, it's, I think like a two way street of like, we need to support, you know, the folks who are lonely and the folks who need like you know that kind of support but then we also need to like turn around and say to the college students like hey this 74 75 year old man like needs empathy from you too not necessarily for his messages because his messages are hateful and as a trans person like I abhor everything that he was saying but like at the same time we need to look at him and say wow maybe he just needs a friend or like needs somebody to talk to or like needs like examples again of like positive 
things that trans people are doing and like maybe he, and then he, that way he can figure out that he is misinformed like you can contribute to him understanding the misinformation so yeah i feel like that's like a two-way a two-way street there or like a two-pronged approach yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent, and and really want to like amplify those statements of both like the police and systems of oppression are not really geared towards helping trans people or any form of queer people or minority people. And so that, yeah, I had the same um, UVM student come up to me um, and she told me that she called the police. And I looked back at her and I was like, they're not gonna come, <laughs> which is a terribly unfortunate thing to have to say, but it's situations like that that really emphasize that we need to be here for each other and care for each other in this kind of like really radical way that Jasper was just talking about in a way that disarms and surprises and undermines the hate that people like Felker bring. And my time with Fred, I did not feel anger or, or hate for him. He seemed mostly like he just wanted to be heard. What I found is most people in a de-escalation situation simply want to be heard. Whether or not you agree with their message, making them feel seen, making them feel like a human being is radically powerful and what most people want. And I left my situation with Fred feeling like, wow, that got kind of intense, but I don't, I'm not upset by him. It was a few days later when I saw what Felker had posted, what other people were writing about this event who were not there, uh, the kind of hate that they were inciting and targeting at our community, having never lived here and not understanding the lives that we are building. That's what really made me angry. Yeah, I'm so sorry if I insinuated uh, an ageist comment um, <laughs> earlier. Um, no, I appreciate everything you do, and I'm glad that you were there at the truck pull. Oh, I, I didn't catch any insinuation, so it was okay. Yeah, it was for me, it was a lot of fun for her uh, because she was with Fred and Felker and all like that the, pretty much the whole time. It was much more tense. In fact, I had to work her shoulders and neck after that but uh yeah it's you see people like fred and like his sign this time was uh gay not queer not a bad sign it's i mean if that's it if that's his identity i can i can go with that it was the other signs that uh Felker and and some of the some of their supporters had um, uh, stop mutilating uh, children and this type of thing. These were the ones that were getting two people, and uh, in fact, that was that particular sign was the one that uh, the young woman knocked out of the one supporter's hands. To wrap up. Do people have anything to say before we read this out? I read everyone out. Uh, the big thing I'm seeing is tactics for these type of things. Um, we always need to make sure that we've got de-escalators and uh, 
on the street medics, because even something as small as the finger injury that Fred got, that can be blown up. And if you've got people, especially people from the other side who are actually taking care of you and trying to chill things out, it goes a long way to, you know, to starting to change some people's minds, especially someone like Fred, who I think he's just being misled. Um, I found with, with Proud Boys and Patriot Front groups like that, we also need security. Um, we need people who they will de-escalate up to the point that an actual attack happens. And then, you know, being able to respond to the attack. Uh, so we do need, we do need all kinds at these different actions because the, the LGB Alliance and other groups like that are just going to keep hounding us every time there's a gay thing, every time there's a trans thing, you're going to find these people there. Uh, some are willing to just be vocal and uh, taunting, but there are some, uh, Proud Boys comes to mind, they want to fight. And if they have an opportunity you know, we also need to have people on our side because the cops, all too often you see it, they're escorting Proud Boys. They're escorting Patriot Front. So, you know, you don't always want to talk to have the police involved. As they said in the 80s, the cops and the Klan go hand in hand. And I've seen that again and again with cops escorting a phalanx of Proud Boys where they shouldn't be. Or when I was in Tennessee at the uh, protesting the American Renaissance uh, Convention, which is a white supremacist convention, we were protesting it. And they had enough security to, they probably had more security than if, if the president was there to protect the, uh, the white supremacist there. Yeah, it's it's situations sort of like these that feel complicated and, I don't know, emphasize everything we talked before about community support and care. But it's also strange to feel like these things are becoming more escalated, no matter what efforts we as de-escalators or security or street medics put into it. It's... Um, when outside aggressors come in looking to generate a response or re and a reaction and are willing to put people like Fred Sargent on the line to get that reaction that they want, that's a scary thing to sort of deal with and anticipate and be like, oh, well, I don't know, this is two events in under the course of a month. Things will probably die down over the winter, but I hope next summer does not become another battleground. People want to live their lives in peace, and I hope we can do the best to support each other in that. Yeah, as somebody who's done um, martial arts on and off since like I was six, um, 
one of the big things that I feel like I took away from that and took away from like learning to do like physical things or physical like attacks like against people is that like one only uses it to redirect energy and one only does it when like directly provoked um and I feel like you know we're getting into ourselves into situations where like those situ where those uh things can happen where like one could be directly provoked and will need to like defend themselves or one will you know need to redirect the energy of somebody's violent act into something that will keep them alive until the next day and sometimes that might mean blocking a punch or like taking like learning how to like use uh riot gear or something of that nature to prevent oneself from like getting shot or like you know getting hurt in another way that like involves like blunt weapons or something like that and it's scary to think about but like also like keeping in mind like when wrapping one's head around it that like um one doesn't need to provoke it to need to know how to use it if that makes sense like it's something just like in your toolkit to keep yourself safe and keep the people that you care about safe and you don't need to go out and like you know brandish a weapon or like start punching people to you know get use out of it if that makes sense like yeah uh d go ahead as someone else who has been into martial arts for a long time uh, and unfortunately not, not practiced for a long time as well. Uh, one of the big things that I was taught was violence is the very last thing that should happen. That if, if you reach the point where you're having to throw punches, you've, you've already lost in many ways. And you know, the idea is to prevent it or minimize it as early as possible so that it doesn't build up to actual fighting or at worst gunshots. You know, you want to keep it, you want to try to prevent it. And when we go out there as de-escalators, our job is not to get into fights. We're doing our best to to calm things down. You know, people can yell at each other. Uh, and although words can hurt you, the yelling can't. So it's okay to yell. It's okay to express your, you know, express yourself. That's part of the freedoms that we still have. But our job as de-escalators is to make sure that it doesn't go beyond that level, that nobody starts throwing punches or, you know, grabbing signs and hitting people with them. You don't, we're doing our best to prevent that. One thing I have to talk about is how hard it was for me being at the truck pull with Fred. I'm by nature and my nervous system is, I'm a militant, but that, militant tactics were not called for 
in that situation. Uh, just if people want to be de-escalators, you have to work on yourself and inside, and sometimes it will hurt you. Yeah, um, I 100%. Um, I've been involved in doing radical things in town for several years now, and it's been a slow process of working my way up to doing de-escalation. Um, I started off as just sort of like attendance um, and then spent a lot of time volunteering in like traffic. Um, and then working my way into a place where it was like, I suddenly feel comfortable with myself to be able to do de-escalation. Um, it's hard. It's putting aside your reaction to fight. It's putting aside some of the very justified anger you feel at these situations. Um, and it's about seeking the best outcome for everyone involved. And it took me several years to reach that place where I felt like I could be an effective de-escalator. Um, it's hard work, but it's really valuable work. And I think it's a good model that we should look for for our communities of reaching past those um, hateful and violent impulses and finding ways to support each other. This has been VMN Volume 3, Episode 8, and I may have left it out in the read-in. We are recorded and transmitted from unceded Abenaki territory, now known as Vermont. If you want to find VMN on a podcast app, search for Vermont Movement News. Thank you very much.